Card presents Back Issue Bloodpath with your hosts, Andrew Young and Petula Neal. Help me out here, Petula. Is it an old Klingon proverb that revenge is the dish best served cold? Absolutely. No okay. other culture has ever used that saying. There we go. Well, I want to augment it and say revenge is a dish best served blind. Welcome to Back Issue Bloodbath. I'm Andrew Young. I'm Petula Neal. And this week we are talking about, of course, my favorite character, Daredevil. And we're specifically going back to 1991. And you're like, what happened in 1991? Well, a kind of sort of sequel happened in 1991. Years ago on this very program, we talked about the book Born Again, the Frank Miller, David Mazzucchelli, seven issue epic that I think is one of the best comic books of all time. And there was a lot of people that were really surprised at the restraint that the people running Marvel at that time had the editors and the writers of Daredevil, that they did not have a rematch between Wilson Fisk and Daredevil for years. Because that story came out in 87. So they went about four years until Daredevil and the Kingpin finally faced off again. And it, as for those who probably know about Born Again, that's the story where Kingpin finds out Daredevil's identity and then systematically takes apart his life. He has him lose his, his law license. He blows up his brownstone apartment. He basically disassociates him from his friends. He makes his name Mud. He is at that point where now he cannot practice law. And for years, he has to become like a consultant and do stuff like give out free legal advice in Hell's Kitchen and things like that. And so for a number of years, Daredevil has kind of been, you know, down and out. And this is the story where Matt Murdock finally gets justice by doing things to right wrongs in the past, but he does it with a hell of a lot of like, fuck you attitude. <laughs> Very, very much like I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do things to get you out of my hair, Kingman, and save Hell's Kitchen. But really, this is all about revenge. That's what I feel. Batula, was this the first time you've read the story? Yeah, and uh, I'm gonna say I jokingly referred to him as F Boy Matt before, but in this one, who boy does Mary deserve better? Okay, but here's the context for that, because in a way, that was almost kind of a revenge scene on her as well. Are the we victim blaming? No, I'm explaining okay. that this, okay. in the same sense that the kingpin yeah. ruined his life back in Born Again, when the kingpin unleashed Typhoid Mary on, on Matt Murdock. Now, it's not really covered in this, but Typhoid Mary is a character who has... Uh, dissociative identity disorder. And so there's typhoid and there's Mary. When Mary is in control, she is a relatively good-hearted person who did have a thing for Matt. And Matt thought he had a thing for her, but that's because of her other identity, typhoid, who is a bit of a wild assassin killer who also has the ability to manipulate people's minds, usually in the way of them becoming obsessed with her. And she also has a little bit of telekinesis and she can raise people's temperatures and set things on fire. So she came into Matt Murdock's life during Anna Senti's run 
And so this is when he's kind of like, hey, I'm down or not. I don't have my law, my law license or whatever, but I've got Karen Page and we're running this legal aid office and every life is good. Everything's great. And then typhoid comes into his life. And as typhoid, he's trying, she's trying to kill him and actually leaves him in a burning, like building fire. He almost dies. And as Mary, even though it's unbeknownst to her, is manipulating her because Typhoid is using Mary, manipulating Matt to think that he's in love with her, thus ruining his relationship with Karen Page to the point where as you see, it's touched upon in here, Matt and Karen, not in a good place anymore. And so it is in this story, this is kind of the natural conclusion to where it goes, in my opinion. And that's why I said Mary deserved better. <laughs> Sure, sure. Very deserved. But actually, here's Type, the thing. The typhoid part of her, right. she. Well, here's she here's what I'm shit. gonna. For people, but Mary deserved better. Well, for again, to give you the history after that, throughout the rest of history of Daredevil, for a number of years, Mary, you know, gets the help at the psychiatric uh, ward. She gets out. She ends up becoming a TV star for a local soap opera. She ends up having a really good life. It isn't until Kingpin comes back into her life and she has a psychotic break and typhoid reemerges. So this moment, although it looks very harsh, does end up being a good thing for Mary for a number of years in the comics. Like we're talking a good decade. So there we go. So in the end, maybe Matt did marry a solid here. I cannot agree with that. He used that D for evil in this instance. He like... had to take, she was the most volatile weapon that kingpin could throw at her he had to take her off the map and he wasn't going to kill her this was the only way he could deal with the situation he had to use the d that's just the way it is so he he deed her into whatever the her version of if not subspace friendly space so that she was vulnerable enough to be without consent with forged papers voluntarily committed and i'm air quoting the voluntarily right i understand that we are talking listeners. about a psychopathic killer who was killing tons of people <laughs> uh, listen it was the means by which he did it i okay. always thought of the f-boy part of matt as something that yes occasionally got him into trouble but he he didn't use that that part of the d in the dd for for evil it was this like... is the only combative d that i can see in the history of daredevil every other yeah. time that the d has come out it has been because he's been a vulnerable state Listen, so i know he's your boy i know that i just say you're going pretty hard in the paint for a pretty reprehensible i'm not act. saying i'm not saying it's a great thing i'm just saying if you were in this situation who's to say you know so by in this situation you mean Matt's D in Mary. <laughs> I'm Listen, just going to put it this way. Day. I'm going to put gonna, it this way. We're going to put a, a on a side note like button, he did in Mary. Yeah, uh, on a side note button, I'm just going to say, if Daredevil was Ben Barnes's hair and you, <laughs> you know, you would have fallen for it. So there you go. <laughs> Listen, but here's the thing: Matt is at his most effective in this this run because when you take away all of your heroes coping mechanisms and tools and their good choices and just leave them with with the streets and their wits your hero starts to look a lot like your villain yeah yeah that's the thing it's the idea is that kingpin put 
Daredevil's back against the wall and born again. And he found his way out. He found a light. But now those lights have been taken away as well. So all that's been left is the vindictive nature of like, well, you're still getting to rise to the top and hurt people where I tried to do the right thing and look where it's gotten me. I'm going to have to get my hands a bit dirty so that you'll stop hurting people. And I'm a human being who's felt wronged, so I'm probably going to enjoy it. Again, Daredevil always rides the shade of gray. I've said that before. Whereas unlike when people say he's like Batman, Batman thinks he's righteous in everything he does. Matt knows what he's doing here is shady, but he just wants to get Kingpin off the map. So Matt is willing to make those allowances. So he's not a hero. He's not a villain. He's in that shade of gray. Like he is definitely an anti-hero in this story. Absolutely. He knows the law too well. So he also knows, A, who's going to probably get off and who he'll have to deal with in his other persona. But he also knows how to manipulate the loopholes in the law. Yeah. See also, Mary. I like what you said. You talked about him getting his hands dirty and that's where we get the parallel of him and Willie, they both realize, oh, we strayed too far from our roots, from the streets, from what we were taught as children, is sometimes so you got to throw these hands. Mm, yeah. And they're going to get dirty and or covered in blood. And they are more alike than they are different. And they are never more alike than they are in this. No, totally. Yeah. The writer, uh, Dan G. Chichester, this was probably the culmination of his first year writing daredevil and he'd end up he'd end up writing it for a number of years after that but this first year is kind of special because he kind of came in and went i'm gonna make it that wilson fisk you know yeah sure he's this big kingpin with tons of money stuff like that but i'm really gonna start playing with the fact that he wants to be seen as a legitimate businessman that that's like his true goal his true goal is he wants to be seen as this captain of industry so this is where the television media network this is where he buys that during this run and he's now set himself up on the new york stock exchange as a company that imports and exports spices he refers to himself as a humble dealer of spices and he gets to that point where he's pulling off the facade and this is the book where the 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 storyline where the facade is pulled away but also the reveal which again i find kind of like oh crazy that you jammed that in there Half of the people he's been working with in the corporate world were not just regular, you know, fat cats, captains of industry, but half the time he was dealing with Hydra and didn't even know it. So you have this secondary kind of conspiracy story happening that Daredevil kind of stumbles upon and like, and Nick Fury is kind of like, I'm going to try to use Daredevil to get get what I want in this situation. But then Daredevil even oversteps that. And so at the end of this, Daredevil is pissed off both Hydra and S.H.I.E.L.D., which then is the price of revenge that much that now two international organizations are, you're on their, you're on their shit list. And on one of them, their hit list. I feel like people keep forgetting Matt Murdock isn't an adorable, charismatic lawyer that, wants to do pro bono work to help people this is a kid from the streets yeah and nick fury was not ready and matt's arguably like more the villain in this like yeah. set of issues than even kingpin like kingpin is just reacting he's barely like the kind of primary actor in any of this but when matt rolls up at nick fury's place i'm 
in one part of myself, even though he's done, again, terrible things up to this point and will continue to do so. I'm rooting for him. I'm like, yeah, get something. Like, this is what happens. Like, you didn't need to get up in this man's business or you could have taken the information that you had about Kingpin and his dealings and dealt with this and also help Mac get his law license back. Instead, you just sat there watching from your, you know, penthouse and your office remotely and then tried to mess with this guy. It's like, it's what you deserve, Nick Fury. Yeah. But it's it really, it's actually Nick should have known better because in the history of Marvel, Nick grew up in Hell's Kitchen. So an older Hell's Kitchen than what Matt grew up in. But Nick was a kid from the kitchen too. So he should have seen this coming, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The thing that really interests me though is the aftermath of this story. Is he that because this. Keep his eye on it, on Matt. Yeah. Matt keep, had... keep, his, keep his one eye, yes. On... <laughs> That's. <laughs> Anyways, but what was interesting about this story is that they truly wrote this as like the swan song of the Kingpin. After this story, after basically at the end of this story where the Kingpin's whereabouts kind of become unknown because he gets bailed out of jail by another character that he refuses to bow down to. And so he does something that kind of puts him in a position where he has to get out of Dodge and disappear. Kingpin disappears for a number of years in the comics. His first appearance back is like a weird kind of shoved in kind of position in the Marvel versus DC miniseries from 96, where he buys the Daily Planet and replaces Perry White with J. Jonah Jameson. But that scene is kind of like almost out of continuity because the Marvel versus DC story is technically out of continuity, although they tried during that time to fit it in. But then later on that year, he makes his official return to comics in 1996. What book do you think he appears in? Just take a random no guess. No idea? No? Uh, 96? 96. I feel like a Spider-Man is too easy. Daredevil, Echo. I don't know. I have no idea. You could have said a number of things, and I think you wouldn't have hit on it right away because it's sort of like a, hmm? He returns in the pages of X-Men in 1996 <laughs> in Japan. And ends up doing battle with both the X-Men and Shang-Chi. So that's where he is. And it is shortly after that he returns to the United States in 98 and re returns to the pages of Daredevil before the end of the decade. But I just remember, like, it was so weird because I was kind of out of reading comics at that time. And I went into, like, a newsstand. And I said, oh, what's, what's, what's happening in the latest X-Men? I pick it up. There was a big picture of Kingpin in a samurai outfit. And I'm like, huh? <laughs> so... I just still to this day, I'm like, okay, so X-Men, that's, that's where he returned. Okay. Well, that kind of nonsense is now going to add to my list of crackpot theories of how we get to see more mutants in the television or film MCU now. There you go. We got, we got the Daredevil show coming. We yeah. know Kingpin is in Echo for yeah. sure. And in Daredevil as well. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my. <laughs> The artist for this book was Lee Weeks, and Al Williamson did the uh, the inks for it. Lee Weeks is a guy, I've really enjoyed his stuff over the years, but there was a trend that when books would lose John Romita Jr., they'd hire Lee Weeks because they have a very similar style. And so it was almost like you'd keep the audience in the narrative by, oh, it's very similar in its artwork style. And so I feel like that's what they did here because John Romita Jr. left shortly before this story and Lee Weeks came in. I thought Lee Weeks, he's same enough that it feels like Romita Jr., 
but he's different enough that he has his own style. He kind of does like, I like to say he does like thin Ramita Jr. Like I feel like this was a very slender Daredevil. Like he mm-hmm. seemed like a gymnast. I felt like that was the one thing that the drawing of Daredevil felt very athletic. Great butts, bad haircuts, I'm going to say. Okay. In general. Yeah. Like across the board, haircuts were kind of meh, but there were some shots. There was one where uh, Daredevil's talking to somebody on the other side of a desk and our POV is like literally almost like an upskirt, but it's just like from behind Daredevil and we're just getting like all ass. I loved it. But yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, no, it's funny. There's a lot we, of that. I should I enjoy a lot of good body yeah, work. Yeah. Watch that body do what it do. <laughs> yeah. But I would say in general, some of the, the haircuts were quite unflattering but hey you know what it's it's a kingpin story so also at the same time it's 1991 so there was a lot of uh, suspect haircuts in the real world at this time too (laughs) absolutely you're right although although i shouldn't i should stop asking you what did you think of the art and just say what did you think of the butts and haircuts because that's really what it all comes down to for me (laughs) little bit little bit but yeah to your point i wasn't seeing a lot of like remarkable things with use of color other things as part of the storytelling i'm sure there's some of that there but like your typical kind of when they're trying to give you a bit of daredevil vision we're getting more of like an outline of someone or there there is a lot of uh kingpin emerging monstrously out of the darkness and we can sort of see how matt sees him and a bit of that is like, is this how his ability sees Kingpin? Or is this like the energy of Kingpin to him? Like, it's a little bit of both. Where mm. different people, when we see them in matte vision, like the, the most grotesque is Daredevil and also Kingpin. Like, they are both in this the biggest monsters. And yeah, yeah. it really kind of does play. If you look at the, like... The final issue, they have those moments where the two of them are just sitting there thinking. And it's like you do feel the like the mirror image, the uniformality of what's going on with them. But at the same time, you feel in both of them this kind of tense, like not really sure of what they should do next and not really sure of what they've done. This is the most, I feel like, vulnerable and insecure that we see of both characters at the same time, like where they're on the same level of insecurity and vulnerability like matt's on an up at the end but i am rooting for willie like he gets his law license back and like you feel like but what did it cost like literally all of your moral fiber yeah gone when willie is flashing back to little willie and rinses those knuckles in like viscera and he's ready to you know restart like i'm kind of rooting for him at the end it's like oh okay this is a rebuilding year it's kind of like loving the blue jays like (laughs) oh okay like let's go like you got reinvigorated like we removed everything and you are the one that's like you're coming back you're showing everyone like oh you want me to pay for dinner (laughs) okay I'll, i'll pay for dinner all right but then he ate like it was 
this is a great i'd say this is a great kingpin story yeah no well this is the uh, this is a definitely a sympathy for the kingpin type story the first time it was ever released in trade the title was not last rights like they changed the name to the fall of the kingpin and actually the cover that they used for the fall of the kingpin was just like him sprawled out on the ground all covered in blood from when he fell you know that scene where he falls that was the shot and i remember seeing that cover not a, not having read the story yet and went did he die here because that's what it kind of looks like and in a way kingpin does die because each leg of the table has been taken out from under him and it's all been done majorly psychologically because of matt kind of sticking it in his face that yeah you took all these things away from me but you still lost vanessa Vanessa wants nothing to do with you. And that's all you really care about. That was the one person you cared about what they thought of you. And you don't have that. And he keeps bringing that back up. And that's what really causes Kingpin to have a mental break. Mm -hmm. Kingpin is no longer the man with the plan. He is just a man desperate. Desperate to get back what he once had. Yeah, and just stripping away the fear, the street cred, the like shaming the press into finally reporting on him. So that veneer of like really the businessman versus this is a literal crime Lord, yeah. like all of that. And, but he emerges from that as his true self and like ready to scrap and build it up again. And you know, he's going to come for everyone. He already starts because uh, as children would say, he stands on business he is ready to go back to work immediately. Like mm -hmm. he does it. If anything, at his lowest point, Matt is almost more focused on Kingpin revenge, whereas Kingpin is more focused on like that grind. Like he's about getting back to, if not even getting back to where he was, about enjoying the violence and the terror and putting that work in, getting those reps in. I feel like if they had both grown up as sons of Battling Jack, like he would be more proud of like the Willie son in this because he's like, right. let's go. Like, right, I'm going right. to scrap again. I'm going to do this. Whereas it was, again, they very much flipped roles. And whereas Matt was more about the machinations that we more get from a kingpin who is like comfortable in his spot and is using his puppets to keep himself and his brand separate right from the shenanigans yeah. of being a literal crime lord and that's why that's why this is seen as the spiritual sequel to born again because the two characters switch roles here in their positioning not in like their point of life like daredevil doesn't start you know going on a crime spree and leading a mob or anything like that but the fact that one has now become the more psychological uh player in the game and the other has become desperate and virile and is going back on instincts to try to stay alive and that's really what the when you read born again that's where that's where wilson fist that's where the kingpin has matt and this Matt finally is in a position to turn the tables and doesn't care if it makes him not look like the better man anymore, which is a very human thing. If you were in this sort of situation, you've been through all this, there's a good chance 99% of people would take the chance and ruin the other person's life if they'd already been ruined by this person. Because 
it's not a moral question anymore. It's just a, what you feel. It becomes, you know, because there are people that, people that hurt you, and if they hurt you to a certain level, there is the point in your mind where you go, if, if, I could, if I could get back to you and make you feel the way you made me feel, I would do it. And that's what this story is about. It's, yeah, very, it's, it's very base, very base human emotions. These people are not thinking about right and wrong. They're thinking about how the other person makes them feel. They, the hatred of these two men between each other is eternal. And that's why I think the fact that Kingpin has become Daredevil's arch enemy, that's cemented in stories like this. That yeah. the hero is willing to go past what he thinks might be right or wrong just to hurt this villain. It's about revenge it's about survival we got a lot of manipulation we have a lot of corruption nobody's doing things for what are your stereotypical right reasons right and it's beautiful there we go so you think people should uh, give this uh, story a read absolutely yeah depending on where you live in the world read it i'd say like a smooth three months before whenever your next major election's coming up there we go. <laughs> Just remind you, everyone's trash. Yes, there you go. Exactly. I definitely think you should check it out. It's a pretty interesting story, and it's the early 90s at Marvel, and so good stories out of Marvel in the early 90s, they're a rare thing, so definitely go back and check this one out. All right, we've come to the end of another episode of Back Issue Bloodbath. Petula, where can the good folks find you? At Inatif.com, on social things, at Obesacantawit, O-B-E-S-A-C-A-N-T-A-V-I-T, and here with you. Of course, you can find everything I do over at geekardshow.com. Follow me on Twitter at geekard. Follow me on Instagram at Andrew underscore of underscore geek underscore hard. Follow this very show on Facebook at Backish Bloodbath, where we post the new episode every week. But the easiest way to make sure you don't miss an episode is to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice. While you're there, leave a five-star rating and review. And then when you're done that, take a moment, breathe in, breathe out. Maybe, I know it's winter, but maybe still go out and touch some grass. Get out there, do something, maybe eat an orange, roll up your sleeves, do something different. Do something you haven't done before. See how it makes you feel. This has been Back Issue Blood Beth. I've been Andrew Young. And I'm Antonio. Have yourself a good.